chapter 26, working our way through Samuel. It's been exciting seeing David navigate his way to the throne. God's anointed him. He's headed for the throne, but there's a, a time gap in the middle, and in that time gap, he has to deal with Saul, who still is the king, even though David has been anointed as his replacement. Awkward situation, one that we see David going through a lot of anxious moments as Saul is pursuing him. It's turned violent at this point. Uh, we see David getting a reprieve from the pursuit of Saul. Why? Because he had cut off a piece of Saul's garment and showed him that he could have taken him out, but he didn't. So Saul stopped chasing David, and that settled down for a minute, and then David has his ordeal with Nabal. If you were here last time, you remember, Nabal was just a really difficult guy. His son, his name actually means son of the devil. Thanks, mom. Uh, I mean, think about, that had to be an interesting childbirth for you to name your kid that. Come on, second service, wake up. Okay, so, you know, he deals with Nabal. He's about to do some violent things there, but Abigail restrains him. He winds up Nabal dies, David marries Abigail. So things are progressing for David. He now has two wives, double trouble. We talked about that a little bit. But uh, we're seeing things going well for David. And as uh, things are going well, someone begins to stir up trouble for him. And we enter into our chapter here, chapter 26. I'm just going to thank God for the word. Sister Kim's going to come read you all 25 verses, and then we'll unpack them together. Father, thank you for the word this morning. I thank you that scripture is relevant to us. The principles and the, the lessons in here are applicable to us right here today. They fit our lives perfectly. So Holy Spirit, open up the word to us and allow it to penetrate our minds and hit our hearts so that we think differently and we act differently. And on Monday morning, we have a different perspective. We're a little closer to you, a little more like Jesus and a little less like ourselves. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Samuel chapter 26. Then the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is not David hiding on the hill of Hakalah, which is before Jeshimon? So Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph, having with him 3,000 chosen men of Israel to search for David in the wilderness of Ziph. Saul camped in the hill of Hakalah, which is before Jeshimon, beside the road, and David was staying in the wilderness. When he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness, David sent out spies, and he knew that Saul was definitely coming. David then arose and came to the place where Saul had camped. And David saw the place where Saul lay, and Abner, the son of Ner, the commander of his army. And Saul was lying in the circle of the camp, and the people were camped around him. Then David said to Ahimelech the Hittite, and to Abishai the son of Zariah, Joab's brother, saying, Who will go down with me to Saul in the camp? And Abishai said, I will go down with you. So David and Abishai came to the people by night, and behold, Saul lay sleeping inside the circle of the camp with his spear stuck in the ground at his head, and Abner and the people were lying around him. Then Abishai said to David, Today God has delivered your enemy into your hand. Now therefore, please let me strike him with the spear to the ground with one stroke, and I will not strike him the second time. But David said to Abishai, Do not destroy him, for who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be without guilt? David also said, As the Lord lives, surely the Lord will strike him, or his day will come that he dies, or he will go down into battle and perish. 
Verse 11, the Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. But now please take the spear that is at his head and the jug of water and let us go. So David took the spear and the jug of water from beside Saul's head and they went away. But no one saw or knew it, nor did any awake, for they were all asleep, because a sound sleep from the Lord had fallen on them. Then David crossed over to the other side and stood on top of the mountain at a distance with a large area between them. David called to the people and to Abner, the son of Ner, saying, Will you not answer, Abner? Then Abner replied, Who are you who calls to the king? So David said to Abner, Are you not a man? And who is like you in Israel? Why then have you not guarded your lord the king? For one of the people came to destroy the king your lord. This thing that you have done is not good. As the Lord lives, all of you must surely die, because you did not guard your Lord, the Lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is and the jug of water that was at his head. Verse 17, then Saul recognized David's voice and said, is this your voice, my son David? And David said, it is my voice, my Lord the king. He also said, why then is my Lord pursuing his servant? For what have I done? or what evil is in my hand. Now, therefore, please let my lord the king listen to the words of his servant. If the lord has stirred you up against me, let him accept an offering. But if it is men, cursed are they before the lord, for they have driven me out today, so that I would have no attachment with the inheritance of the lord, saying, go serve other gods. Now then, do not let my blood fall to the ground away from the presence of the lord. For the king of Israel has come out to search for a single flea, just as one hunts a partridge in the mountains. Then Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will not harm you, because my life was precious in your sight this day. Behold, I have played the fool and have committed a serious error. David replied, Behold the spear of the king. Now let one of the young men come over and take it. The Lord will repay each man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord delivered you into my hand today, but I refuse to stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Now behold, as your life was highly valued in my sight this day, so may my life be highly valued in the sight of the Lord, and may he deliver me from all distress. Then Saul said to David, Blessed are you, my son David. You will both accomplish much and surely prevail. So David went on his way, and Saul returned to his place. Near miss number two. He's stirred up and he goes after David and David is just trying to stay out of Saul's way. Have you ever been around people that you just try to stay out of their way? You know, proverbially walking on eggshells around them. You don't want to set them off. Well, that's a picture of Saul where he is at this point. Now I want you to see something. David was out of Saul's sight he was out of Saul's way. He wasn't actively trying to subvert Saul. He was waiting for God to promote him and put him on the throne. We're going to get an insight into David's mindset here as he articulates that in the text. But David was staying out of Saul's way and he was, he was behaving himself. He was waiting on God. So what happened here? Verse 1 tells us exactly what happened. Then the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah saying, is not David hiding in Hakala, which is in Jeshimon? So what we see here is the Ziphites coming and they are stirring the pot. They're stirring up trouble against David. Listen to me. There's times in life where you and I figure out 
maybe we get old enough, more uh, mature enough to control ourselves, to control our mouths, to stay out of things that don't concern us, to where we don't stir up trouble for ourselves. But the good news is there'll always be people who will do it for us. <laughs> there are always people, and in the text here, they're the Ziphites. We're going to talk about the Ziphites a little bit here today, because they're the ones who stir up trouble on David's behalf. Now, they want to reignite Saul's wrath and his jealousy by informing him of where David is at the moment. What they're doing is they're kind of tantalizing him. Hey, buddy, guess what? We know exactly where David is. Are you sure you don't want to take him out? Look, Saul, we know we got a good, they're kind of dangling the carrot in front of them. And what are they doing? They're trying to inflame his jealousy and his ego because Saul has sworn that he's not going to pursue David anymore. But yet here comes troublemakers stirring up trouble to try and get Saul to reignite the pursuit. And I want you to understand that in life, there are times where we're going to have to deal with Ziphites. There's going to be people who like to stir up trouble for us. Come on, smile at me if you've ever, come on, any of you a part of a family? Any of you have politics in the office? Hello, anybody just in the neighborhood, you know? Have neighbors? All live in caves exclusively? No. So you, you understand there are always those people who stir up trouble. And we could probably name off people. If you can't name anybody off, it's probably you. So the Ziphites, they were stirring up trouble and there are always people who are going to have it in for us who don't want to see us at peace. And that's exactly what the deal was here. They didn't want to see David at peace. They wanted to, you know, kind of get Saul to take him out and then Saul would owe them a favor. And I want, I want you to understand something. There are always going to be Ziphites for us to deal with. And we should pray that God delivers us from people in our lives that want to stir up trouble for us. Amen. Kim talked about praying and doing our part. You know, I find out, Lou, when I'm in the Word and I'm in prayer and I'm doing all the right things, God takes care of my troublemakers. And I've seen this, and Pastor Mike, you can validate in ministry. When ministers start doing things other than what they're supposed to do, the enemy gets an open door to stir up trouble for them. Amen. Come on, church. So if you want to head trouble off at the pass, if you want God to deal with your Ziphites, Get right, stay right, stay in the word, do what you're supposed to be doing. And David was doing all that, yet somehow, someway, these people stirred up problems for him. Now, I want you to just get an understanding of how God feels about Ziphites. Proverbs 6, 18 through 19 says this, six things with the, which the Lord hates. Do you realize God hates some things? Yes. That's a strong word. Some people are uncomfortable with that word hate. They think it's unchristian. The word says here, six things that the Lord hates, seven which are an abomination to him. Listen, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. God hates those things. Listen to verse 18. A heart that devises wicked plans, Ziphites. Feet that run rapidly to evil, Ziphites. A false witness that utters lies, that's right. One who spreads strife among brothers. That's exactly how God feels. He, he, it's an abomination to him. He hates it when people stir up trouble, when they, when they push the boundaries and they, they mix up truth with a lie and all of these things. And here's an example of God is not for it, yet David's doing the right things, yet still there are those who stir up trouble for him. Sometimes that's going to happen to us in life. Verse 2, the Ziphites provoke Saul, and he breaks his vow. Now, listen, it didn't take much here. You know, there's that old expression, twist my rubber arm. 
Come on, and that was Saul. Saul relented from chasing David, but really in his heart, he was still at odds with David. So Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph, having with him 3,000 chosen men of Israel to search for David in the wilderness of Ziph. So Saul breaks his promise, and he breaks his vow, and he doesn't just go looking for David himself. He takes 3,000 chosen men with him. There again, it's a hunting party to hunt down David. And uh, I want you to see some things here. Those who are overcome by wickedness almost never keep their word. When you're dealing with people who are not Christian, who are ungodly, who are in all kinds of wickedness, and they make you a promise, please don't lean on that promise. Don't, well, I got a contract. Well, I got their word. Well, I got the, it really means nothing if the character of the person cannot line up with the promise, amen? Wicked people don't keep their promises. And Saul is in a place where he is ungodly at this point. The Holy Spirit's reserve, I mean, has been withdrawn from him and he makes a vow to David, but he breaks that vow and there's no accountability for it. So for you and I to count on the promises of people who have bad character is just a foolish thing to do. Church, rely on the Lord, but take the promises of men very lightly especially ungodly people that you know, you know their character warrants that they could break their commitment at any time. Verses three and five, Saul pitches camp and David is made aware that Saul is pursuing him. So there, David's not, David is a very intelligent man. He's got uh, the Lord with him. He has discernment. And at the same time, he has military experience and prowess. And he, he understands and he verifies that the threat is very real. Rather than, you know, just pretending that everything's okay, he sends out spies and they see that Saul is in fact coming and, and David gets prepared for that. Now, David could have slipped away and avoided confrontation. But I want you to see what David does here in verses three and five. Instead of slipping away and avoiding confrontation, he faces it head on. He goes to the place where Saul is camped and he sees where he's sleeping. Good leaders lead from the front. Good leaders lead by example. Good leaders have courage and they face giants and they climb mountains and they deal with problems. These are marks of good leadership, and David has it. He doesn't run away. He doesn't hide. He, he faces the situation head on. He goes to see where Saul is camped out, and he actually sees where he's laying. It says here, Saul camped in the hill of Hakalon, which is in Jeshimon, beside the road of David, was staying in the wilderness, where he saw Saul came after him in the wilderness. David sent out spies. So we, he's, he's knowing what goes on. Verse five, David then arose and came to the place where Saul had camped. And David saw the place where Saul lay and Abner, the son of Ner, the commander of the army. And Saul was lying in the circle of the camp and the people were camped around him. So David goes right to the scene and he gets a picture of what's going on. Now understand something here. This is a very secure situation. You have the king out in the field and you have 3,000 people 3,000, I mean, eyes and ears, that's 6,000 eyes, right? And he's got eyes and ears all around him, and he's camped in the middle. Why? For security. Protect the king. Rally around the king. Provide security for the king. So if David is going to get at Saul, he's got to get past 300,000 special forces who are there to protect Saul. An impossible situation from, um, from many, you know, if you look at that, you're thinking, man, this is not the time to take a stand, David. This is a, this is a dangerous situation. 
In verse 5, it, it notes that Abner is there. He's the commander of the army. He's uh, Saul's premier military leader. He's right by Saul in the middle of the camp, 3,000 men around him. He's in a secure position. Now, verse 6, what does David decide to do? I'm going down there. Told you, David is, <laughs> David is a lion. Amen. He's from the tribe of Judah, the lion of the tribe of Judah. That's Jesus. But he had a lion's heart. I'm not running away. I'm not running away from my problems. I'm not running away from conflict. In fact, I'm not only going to look in, I'm going down there. And in verse six, he says, who's going with me? See, uh, this is an interesting appeal. He doesn't pick somebody. He doesn't force somebody. He doesn't say, you two guys are going. I'll stay here. Report back to me. He says, I'm going. And who's going with me? These are leadership principles. If you're in leadership, pay attention to how he behaves here. He asks for someone to sneak down into the camp with him. Now, at, at best, this is a daring feat. At worst, it's a suicide mission. But he asks for a volunteer, and Abishai volunteers. And, you know, you got to pay attention. Uh, obviously, he, Abishai is someone who has a heart like David. He says, uh, to Abimelech the Hittite, and Abishai the son of Zerah, Job's brother, saying, who will go down with me to the camp? And Abishai said, I will go down with you. You and I need to pay attention to those who will stand shoulder to shoulder with us in conflict. You and I need to pay attention to those when the crisis is on, when there's problems in our household, when there's problems in our marriage, when there's problems in the church, in the kingdom, when there's problems in our physical bodies. Those that'll stand shoulder to shoulder with us and say, yeah, I'll fight alongside you. I got your back. I'll hold up your hand. You got, you got to pay attention to people like that. You know, and you also have to pay attention to people that provide you lip service. Oh, pastor, I'm with you. A hundred yards back, hoping everything works out all right. You got to pay attention to people like that because some people talk a good talk, but when, you know, when it's crisis time, they're nowhere to be found. They're at a safe distance. I don't chase people, but I let people gather themselves to me. People who will hold up my hands, people who will fight alongside of me, people that will believe with me. Pay attention to those people. They're valuable. Cultivate them, nurture them, appreciate them. Speaking to somebody this morning. So Abishai says, I'll go down with you. I'll, I'll face, you know, I'll, I'll face the trouble with you. He doesn't shrink back. He's with David in a pinch. In verse seven, David and Abishai sneak into Saul's camp like two ninjas. I mean, think about this. If you were on this little mission here, I mean, what, a, what an anxious moment. I get nervous when I'm trying to open the cake box at night. Dad, my wife doesn't hear me. You know those crazy cake boxes now with the plastic lids and those things? Those are too noisy. Where's Entenmann's? Give me that box. But I mean, can you feel the anxiety here? They're sneaking down 3,000 special forces. I mean, these guys should be sharp as a tack and wound up. And you know, just they should have a security perimeter. And I mean, it should be impossible to get into the camp. Now, unbeknownst to David and Abishai, God put a deep sleep on them. We're going to talk about that. But they don't know that. You know, why didn't God tell them? Because God wanted them to learn to trust him. Why doesn't God tell us like, yeah, you're going to be all right. You're going to get this. He give you all the details. It's going to work out like this X, Y, and Z. I'll tell you why he doesn't tell us that because that doesn't build faith in us. That doesn't build courage in us. But God had taken care of the situation, yet they put themselves in harm's way and they take a risk and they sneak into that camp. Everyone's sleeping. Saul is in the middle of it. And Saul's laying there with his spear stuck by his head. Saul always has a spear close by. 
He's thrown that spear at David two times. He's thrown it at his son Jonathan once. And God knows who else he's stuck to the wall with it in his wrath. But his spear is close at hand. This time, it's not in his hand. And so it's actually a danger to him. Jesus didn't say you couldn't have a sword. He said, don't live by the sword. Because if you live by it, you'll die by it. Here's a perfect example of someone, he's living by the sword, he's violent, he has rage and anger issues, I mean Saul needs counseling. And there he is laying in the middle of the camp with his spear by his head and Abishai and David sneak right into range. Now Abishai's reaction to them getting to within striking distance of Saul is a pretty human reaction. Listen to it in verse 8. Then Abishai said to David, today God has delivered your enemy into your hand. And that's true because David could have took him out if he chose to. He says this, now listen, now therefore, please let me, this is Abishai speaking, strike him with the spear to the ground with one stroke and I will not strike him a second time. So what's going on here? It's a human response. Yeah, we're in striking distance. Let's take the problem out. Let's stop running. Let's stop hiding. Let's stop all of this madness. And Abishai understood that David didn't want to stretch his hand out against Saul. So he's like, let me do it. I'll do it. I got no problem with it. In fact, I'll hit him once. And that's once is all it's going to take. Realize these guys are serious. You know, they, they don't play video games. They're not like, you know, they're, they're real warriors. And he's like, I'll strike him once and I won't have to hit him again. And it'll all be over. But David David would not allow it. See, it's one thing to say, I don't want to get my hands dirty, but it's another thing to allow others to get their hands dirty at, your, at our benefit. Be very careful with this. You know, we talked about Jezebel and Ahab. Ahab was the king, but he was a weakling and he whined to his wife Jezebel and she would do his dirty work and kill the prophets and Ahab would be like, I didn't get my hands dirty. I manipulated my wife to do it. That Ahab and Jezebel spirit is a dangerous, ugly thing. David doesn't have it. David's like, I'm not touching him. And Abishai, you're not touching him either. Wow. Shows David's character here. He forbids Abishai. Now, uh, understand, God has delivered Saul into their hand, but David is not willing to take him out. Abishai has great confidence, knows he can finish him with one stroke, uh, yet David will not allow it. Verses 9 and 10 give David's mindset into the situation. We get to see behind the curtain here of what David's feeling, how he views Saul, and how he has confidence in the sovereignty of God. Look what he says in 9 and 10, and David said to Abishai, now I don't know where they're having this conversation, but I hope it's not in the middle of the camp. <laughs> Do not destroy him, for who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be without guilt? That's a good thing there. He fears the Lord. Listen to verse 10. David said, also as the Lord lives, surely the Lord will strike him or his day will come that he dies or he will go down and perish in battle. So there's David's mindset here. The first thing he says is, you know what? The Lord will take him out. Now, where did David get that from? Well, just remember he dealt with Nabal. And what? David was on his way to kill Nabal. And Abigail restrained him and the Holy Spirit restrained him. And then what happened? Nabal has a stroke and a heart attack. And within 10 days, Nabal's dead. And Abigail's David's wife. So he, he says, you know, that worked out pretty good for me. So apparently, you know, I can trust the Lord to take care of my enemies. You know what? We need to understand that is the principle we need to abide by. We don't get dirty. We don't take out our adversaries. We don't get in there and, uh, you know, deliver ourselves by our own hand, by our own wrath. We wait on the Lord. The Bible says, if vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. 
Listen, there's a time to take a stand. There's a time to draw lines. There's a time to fight. But it's not, we don't do that to promote ourselves. Huh. It's quiet now. David's heart is so right here. I mean, his actions, God is proving him. He's like, you know what? God will take him out. I know what happened to Nabal. The number two thing is he can just die a natural death. So David was willing to just go with the long haul and wait on the Lord. That's a good lesson for us to do. Wait on the Lord. Or the third thing he said is he might fall in battle. Now, David doesn't know this, but that's exactly what's going to happen to Saul. And it's going to happen soon that he's going to fall in battle and David will be promoted to king and sit on the throne. But David's mentality is here is I'm not promoting myself. I'm going to wait on the Lord. It can happen like X, Y, and Z, but it's not going to happen by my own hand. These are good lessons for us. David refuses Abishai to do the job. Uh, he sees Saul as the Lord's anointed and he fears the Lord and he knows there's guilt attached to you know, taking matters into your own hand. The plan is just to snatch Saul's spear, take his water jug and to slip out of camp. And the text tells us that God put a deep sleep on all of them. Now realize they had divine help here, but they didn't know it. Sometimes we, we, we're taking risks and we're doing things through the kingdom and we think, woo, you know, this is, really, this is really dicey. But the Lord, if he's initiated it, he's, taken out, he's prepared the way for us and he's protecting us, amen? The thing is, we don't know it at the time. So we have to have faith and it builds faith and it builds our courage and it's a good thing. But you know, we can count on the Lord. If the Lord tells us to do something, he's gonna prepare the way for us. If it's just us doing our own thing, well, I guess we're on our own. We're going to have to see how it works out. Or we could wait on the Lord and trust him. I think uh, there's a lot of room for wisdom in here. Uh, the deep sleep is upon them that, you know, Abishai and David must have thought, man, we are really good sneakers. We are like, you know, they must have been telling stories around the fire, you know, and uh, how, how awesome they were at slithering in there. But uh, they had help, and it was divine help. It was dangerous. It took courage, but they had divine assistance in the ordeal. And you know what? So do we. The Lord is protecting us and preserving us. As long as we're about his business, amen? We shouldn't be so, you know, self-righteous and self-assured to think out, man, things are just going my way. I must be really awesome. It's the Lord. Just think about how unawesome you were before you met him. <laughs> that always grounds me. Verse 13, David exposes himself to Saul, but this time we see a little wisdom mixed in there. The last time he was, <laughs> he was pretty close to Saul when he popped out and appealed to him. In verse 13, there's a different situation. David crosses over to the other side on the top of a mountain at a distance with a large area between them. Does it sound like David doesn't trust Saul? And that's a good thing, amen? Use wisdom. Don't expose yourself to your enemies uh, recklessly. That's not wisdom. Verse 14, David calls to the people and to Abner, the son of Ner, saying, will you not answer, Abner? And Abner replied, who are you who calls to the king? So David said to Abner, Abner, are you not a man? Who is like you in Israel? So I want you to see this discourse here. I want you to see the difference in tenor. David is very respectful and, and very uh, humble before Saul because he recognizes that he's God's anointed. With, with Nabal, he wasn't respectful. He was ready to kill him. Right. With Abner, he has no respect for Abner. He sees Abner as a weasel and a worm. Yeah. 
Ever met weasels and worms? Yeah, well, David has no respect for him. He has no patience for him neither. So what is he doing here in this little exchange? He's trying to pick a fight with Abner. He's trying to embarrass him in front of Saul and to show Saul, this is the guy you got protecting you? You drove me away and you got this clown protecting you? I just snuck in and took your canteen and your spear. (laughs) So notice David's demeanor. David is humble. David doesn't think much of himself, but he's no pushover either. It depends on who you are and what your character is, the way David treats you. And that's an interesting thing to ponder. But David goes right after Abner, asks him if he's a man. What do you think he meant by that? He's saying, you know what, Abner, you're, you're a worm and a weasel. You're derelict in your duty. Verses 14 through 16, he verbally spars with Abner. And he basically tells him, you know, you didn't protect the king. We snuck in there. He said, like, where's his spear? Where's his water jug? You're derelict in your duty. In verse 16, he tells Abner, you should be put to death for your incompetence. Wow. David can get tough when he needs to be tough. David can go toe-to-toe with people who don't have good character and call them out. And he calls calls Abner out, and he embarrasses him. He's being provocative. He's being inflammatory because he wants to show Saul who he surrounded himself with. Wow. So the spear's missing. The jug's missing. Verse 17 and 18, Saul recognized David's voice. Now, something that's interesting to me is that when David and Saul speak to each other, remember, Saul is hunting him to kill him. This is not, you know, this is not, this is the most unfriendly uh, thing you could do to someone. I don't know. If someone's hunting me to kill me, I don't say, how are you, my Lord? (laughs) But here's Saul. Saul recognizes David's voice. And he says, "Uh, David, is, is that the voice of David? It is my voice, the Lord, the King. Look what he says. Is this your voice, my son, David? My son, David. You mean your flea-bitten son living in caves with all these crazy people running around hiding from you? Your son that you throw spears at and chase around? You know, you ever have somebody say, you know, I treated you like family, and then you see the way they treat their family, right? And we say, don't treat me like family. You know, you see the, uh, you know, I treated you like family, somebody said to me, and I saw the way they treated their wife and kids, and I'm like, man, that's no bargain, My son, David. Yeah. Do you normally throw spears at your son? Well, the answer to that question is yes, because he threw one at Jonathan. Saul's unhinged, but he's very uh, articulate and polite. Oh, my son, David. And David answered him with pleasantries too. Oh, yes, my Lord, the king. Sometimes words are just words. And you shouldn't be disarmed by people's words. You shouldn't be enamored by people's words. You should be able to look through the words and see the heart behind the words. Some people will be polite and kind to your face and they'll slit your throat the first chance they get. Say, Pastor, why do we have to talk about this in church? (laughs) Because God wants us to be wise and God wants us to be wise in our dealings. And Christians are depicted in scripture as sheep, which are the most unintelligent of animals. So we need wisdom. David makes this pleasant exchange with Saul. Saul seems happy to hear from his son, David. Fancy meeting you out here. The truth is, David knows that, you know, Saul is there to kill him. And he appeals to him in 17 and 18. He says, what have I done? 
What evil is in my hand? So there again, Saul and David are exchanging pleasantries. He begins to speak with him. David uses his words again instead of his sword. He goes with diplomacy instead of violence. And that should be, all of us should try and use our words and our diplomacy and humility before we ever escalate anything to the next level. Please hear me on that. Some of us are too hot-tempered. We're too quick to reach for the sword. We're too quick to escalate things. And that, you know, and we think, well, I, you know, I have a short fuse. And people brag about it. That's not a good thing. People who have short fuses create all kinds of drama for themselves, and they're not fit for leadership. We don't need people in leadership with short fuses. David's proving, I have what it takes to be a king. Even as I'm being hunted by this man, I'm willing to be polite. I'm willing to use my words. I'm willing to stay my hand and not touch him. Wow, what character he has. David basically says, if I've done anything wrong here, you know what, I'll, I'll bring an offering and, and the Lord will deal with me. But if other people have stirred you up against me, if other people have stirred the pot, let it be a curse to them. And David understood what was going on here. Somebody had stirred up Saul against him. And he understood Saul's ego and his pride and his anger. And, and he puts it out there. You know, who has stirred you up? Who told you, you know, to come after me today? There's sometimes where we're completely... Well, I don't want to say completely, but mostly innocent. And we suffer persecution and it doesn't make sense. And I want you to know that those are some of the most difficult moments in life. When we've done everything we were supposed to do, when we've had the right heart, when we've been humble, when, when there was no you know, sin in our heart, David had no desire to take Saul out. He loved Saul. He, Saul was his mentor. Yet you know, Saul is there to destroy him and David's done nothing wrong. So he appeals to him, what have I done? And the answer is, you haven't done anything. Uh, it's somebody else that stirred you know, me up against you. And David says, if it's other men, let it be a curse to them. And this is, a, this is a good thing. Understand those that stir up trouble, those that make problems, those that destroy the peace, those that put enmity between brothers and, and stir the pot, they are not blessed people. No matter how nice they are, no matter if they're in your family. Listen, you, God doesn't bless people like that. We've already looked at the proverb that says, you know, that it's an offense to him. He hates it. It's an abomination. So don't... Don't align yourself with those who stir up trouble. Don't be around them. Stay away from them as much as possible. David has the right heart. He's humble. And he's willing to entertain. Hey, if I'm wrong, I'll, I'll make an offering. If I'm wrong, let God judge me. You know, this is a good thing here. Many of us in David's position would be like, there's no way I'm wrong. I'm 110% right. This is unjust. And we'd be mad at Saul, and we'd be mad at those in Israel who didn't stand with us, and we'd even get mad at God. God, I was minding my own business, tending the sheep, and you send this prophet out to anoint me. He pours oil all over me, and I'm minding my business. Now I'm running for my life. Thanks, God. Thanks for picking me. Come on, if you've walked with the Lord any amount of time, you've been there. You know, we all try and look holy now. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm, you know, we get, we get angry. But we don't see a trace of this in David here. You see just humility. He said, if I did anything wrong, let the Lord judge me. Um, 
But if people stirred you up against me, let them be cursed. And that's, that's the right way to land on this. In verse 20, David asked Saul not to spill his blood. And look how he describes himself here. There again, this is not theatrics or it's not rhetorical. This is David being humble. Now then, do not let my blood fall to the ground away from the presence of the Lord. For the king of Israel has come out to search for a single flea just as one hunts a partridge in the mountains. So he compares himself to a single flea. That, that's about as humble as you can get. Amen. Then he likens himself unto a hunted partridge. Now, in first service, I was telling people about partridges are not the smartest birds. You know that expression, bird brain? That came from partridges. Many times when you're out hunting partridges, you almost have to kick them up to get them to fly. They just stand there and go... <laughs> So David says, I'm, I'm like a hunted partridge. I'm like a single flea. And he's not being melodramatic. He's being humble. He's like, you're the king. And I'm just this one guy. And I'm staying out of your way. And I have no evil intent towards you. What are you doing? Wow. What a good appeal. What a good use of his words. Saul hears David's words and they work. I want you to see this. Diplomacy often works. Your words often work. You don't have to explode. You don't have to raise your voice. You don't have to pull your sword. You don't have to do any of those things until you have to do that. Verse 20 shows that the words work. Uh, in 21, he admits that he's made a, a bad mistake. Look at this. Then Saul said, I have sinned. Now notice, this is genuine humility on Saul's part. Uh, he, has, he doesn't have access to the Holy Spirit, but he feels conviction here. Uh, he's obviously convicted by David's words. I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will not harm you again because my life was precious in your sight this day. Behold, I have played the fool and have committed a serious error. Verse 21 is a moment where Saul becomes lucid and realizes how ridiculous he's being. Look at all the things he confesses and realize this is not an easy thing to say in front of 3,000 of your chosen men. Remember, his, his men are listening to him, Abner's listening to him, and David's listening to him. So he's saying all these things, uh, you know, that I've sinned and I've made a miscalculation and I've played the fool and I've made a serious error. You know, what's he talking about that he made a serious error? He's basically acknowledging, you're right, Dave, I listened to the Ziphites and they dangled the carrot in front of me and that's why we're here today because, you know, I, I just, I was stirred up by them and, I, and that was a miscalculation on my part. That was foolishness on my part. And that was sin on my part. You and I should always be willing to admit when we've sinned. One of the greatest pieces of advice uh, a spiritual mentor gave to me when I was a young man, just beginning to preach and study the word. He says, son, when you're wrong, be wrong. Quiet now. No, 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 pastor. When you're wrong, get, you know, fight and try and trick them into thinking you're right. Come on, how many people are married and you've been halfway into a fight when you realize, uh-oh, I'm wrong. But you keep fighting because you're like, I can still win this. Come on, married people, you know, you're like, you're halfway through and you're going back and forth. And I'm like, that was a good point she just made. That's a, I think she's right, but wait, I'll try this angle. I mean, it happens both ways. Some people are afraid to laugh. They're just looking straight forward. When you're wrong, be wrong. 
Saul felt he was wrong. He, he confessed he was wrong. That's a good thing. David, when he's wrong, he confesses that he's wrong. We're going to see that all throughout his life. God can deal with us when we're wrong. He can't deal with us when we refuse to admit we're wrong. God can deal with us in our sin, but he can't deal with us if we refuse to confess our sin. God can deal with us when we're humble, but he can't deal with us when we're proud. Saul comes to his senses, if only for a moment. Verses 22 through 24, David returns Saul's spear. Now, notice he did it when he was out of spear range. That's when you hand somebody a spear who throws spears at you. But he has respect for the office, and a king fleeced of his spear is, is a humiliation. So he has one of the young men come and take the spear and bring it back to Saul. So David shows good form. He shows respect. Uh, Saul receives the spear. Uh, he, he has favor, and, and he speaks uh, you know, these words upon David there again. It, these, are, these are strange moments. You're out there hunting him. Behold, verse 24 says, Now behold, your life was highly valued in my sight this day, so may my life be highly valued in the sight of the Lord, and may he deliver me from all distresses. Then Saul says in 25 to David, Blessed are you, my son David. Oh, yeah. You will both accomplish much and surely prevail. So David went on his way, and Saul returned to his place. A disaster averted. David talks his way out again. Saul repents of his foolish pursuit, and he returns uh, to, to not chase David anymore. And David just withdraws himself and goes back into obscurity. And what we see here is a lesson on how to deal with situations when people have stirred up trouble for us. The main thing for us to do is not to drop our character to the level of theirs, get in the mud and fight with them. The main thing for us to do is stay above the fray, be humble, use our words, don't be hot-headed, don't let the temper get the best of us, and see what God will do. And what a great lesson this is for all of us here. God, help us to have the wisdom of David. Father, help us to recognize the Ziphites in our lives and to not feed the fuel and the fire of those things and help us to pray for peace and those who would stir up strife Father, we pray that you would deal with them so we don't have to. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Give him praise this morning. Amen.